Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Before we get started, I just want to let you know, this episode is brought to you by Buckaroo Media, a digital marketing company that focuses on social media that cultivates relationships between brands and their customers. Buckaroo Media prides themselves on building genuine and authentic connections. Digital marketing doesn't have to be overwhelming or overly time-consuming. With Buckaroo Media on your team, you're free to focus on the areas of your business which you're most passionate about, and let Buckaroo Media handle the rest. Check them out on Instagram at buckaroo.media or Facebook at Buckaroo Media. For more information about Buckaroo Media and how they can grow your Western brand, visit buckaroomedia.com. B-U-C-K-A-R-O-O-M-E-D-I-A.com. Oh wait, and one more thing before we get on to the episode. As part of our continued effort here at Let Freedom Reign Podcast to bring awareness to the incredible benefits of horsemanship, we'd like to share with you an event that includes the ultimate horseman in the ultimate show. We're talking about Heart of the Horse, brought to you by Nikki Flundra, who just so happened to be featured in episode 23. Heart of the Horse will be held at Silver Slate Arena in Nanton, Alberta, September 20th through the 22nd. This event will host a colt starting competition to include Dan James, Matt Robertson, and Glenn Stewart, all of which have been previous guests here at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Sunday, the winning horse will be auctioned off to benefit Robinson Outreach at Rivercross Ranch. Throughout the weekend, there will be horsemanship clinics, demos in liberty and trick riding, a Western artisan competition, trade show, and much more. Join us Saturday night for dinner and dancing and a chance to meet the competitors and other special guests. Let Freedom Reign Podcast will have a booth at the event and we'll be interviewing guests and fans throughout the event. Stop on by, say hi, and you might have a chance to be a guest on the show. For more information and to purchase tickets, visit theheartofthehorse.ca. We look forward to seeing you all there. Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life, who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance, and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned, we're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome everybody to episode 54 here at Let Freedom Reign podcast. Earlier this week, I was going over some show statistics related to what cities have the greatest following. Lo and behold, Calgary, Alberta was the number one city in the world, just barely beating Fort Worth, Texas, in regards to listens and downloads for Let Freedom Reign podcast. I find it rather fitting that this week's guest is 2019 Calgary Stampede Princess, Keely Stewart. In this episode, we briefly touch on Keely's start in horsemanship, her time at some of the most prestigious ballet academies in the world and all the incredible experience she has gained in this last year as a member of the Calgary Stampede Royalty. We all have our preconceived notions of what a rodeo queen represents. However, in this episode, Keely does a great job dispelling a lot of the rumors and telling the story of how valuable rodeo royalty is to the industry through public speaking, charity, and representation of the Western way of life. As always, you can find us on both Facebook and Instagram under Let Freedom Raid Podcast. We encourage you all to pay us a visit and give us a follow. If you haven't already, click the subscribe button on your podcast platform so you can be the first to download our weekly episode as they launch. As always, we encourage you to share the show with a friend. We hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is our conversation with Keely Stewart. It's kind of been my stomping grounds when I'm not um, doing stampede duties Mm -hmm. and the people down here and their stories and just the work that they do with horses and with farming and their, their ranching, like the whole lifestyle here is something that I've never witnessed before to this extreme, like passion and love and 
the hard work that goes into it. It's absolutely mind blowing. And the things that I see on a daily basis that these people are experiencing and I don't know, just getting to witness even like the country here. Oh my goodness. It just blows my mind that this has been here this whole time and I've never gotten to come and, you know, see these things or meet these people and hear these stories that, I don't know, it's been life changing for me. Like just to be down here and be exposed to that, it's been a huge eye opener. And I think that's part of part of this podcast is trying to develop that that awareness in in everybody else because we're everybody in the Western lifestyle or farming ranching, right? You yeah. you become so inundated with your animals and your family and your business and your own schedule, right? That oftentimes we never look up. Yes. But when when I got to travel a bit and you're sitting with folks, you know, horseback in that quiet moment and you just start to yes. talk a little bit about life, you realize that there are some amazing people out here from all over the world, you know, that have these amazing yes. stories and, and have walked these harrowing journeys. And, and that's what we try to convey here on the show is that let's get some of those stories told because they are so inspiring and valuable and enriching, you know? Yes. I love it. That's it's awesome. It's all great stuff. It's all great stuff. So we need more of that in the world. So that's great. Ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth? So here we are with Keely Stewart. She is 2019 Calgary Stampede Royalty. And we have some ground to cover this morning, Keely. Yes, we do. <laughs> I want to thank you very much for coming on the show and making time for us, especially amidst your busy schedule. What has been new for you as far as your royalty tour? And we'll get into the details of how that came to be, but what's been new for you the last couple of weeks? Oh, man. Well, this last year in general, sorry, this dog's going crazy right now. The last <laughs> year in general has been completely new experience for me with just growing up in northern BC and then moving down to Calgary to do my year as an ambassador. So basically everything's changed and that was part of why I wanted to get involved in the first place but it's just been one big process of learning and meeting people and experiencing different opportunities and it's been great. I want to talk to you a little bit about your upbringing with horses. Now what I think is kind of unique in your situation is that you you kind of represent the change that we're striving for in horsemanship you know with with some of the founding fathers, when they first brought these methods about, they were looked at as outcasts, right? That this horsemanship yes. stuff is just, it's black magic, um, you know, and as generations move on, we start to revolutionize horsemanship and it starts to become a little bit more mainstream. Your father's been very, very successful with it. And now here you are, and this is kind of all you know is, is this style of horsemanship, and and the benefits of the horse. So let's talk a little bit about your upbringing with horses and, and how you got your start. For sure. Yeah, well, definitely very fortunate to have grown up the way that I got to. And I, I grew up on a ranch and just outside of Fort St. John, BC, and it was strictly horse. We didn't have any cattle and dad specified in natural horsemanship. And my family was very close and traveled lots on the road together and basically spent all my time outdoors with the horses, especially in the summer when dad would have camps on the ranch and people would come from all over the world. And 
either bring their own horses or they borrow our horses for the clinics. And lots of time, too, in the summer, we'd head up to my uncle's hunting outfit and spend just about three or four weeks there. And all the horses up there are kind of wild and free and they live up there all winter long so we bring them back down every spring and get to work with them try and get our hands on as many as possible just to help them out with their season but kind of just lived a very beautiful peaceful outdoor adventure driven lifestyle and my family was very fortunate to provide that for my sister and I and yeah, honestly, couldn't have been any better. <laughs> I look back on those days and I'm like, I mean, it was only a couple of years ago, but I'd give anything to just go back and be able to sit on the deck with your family. Life gets so busy. It's crazy. That is absolute gospel, right? Sometimes we have a hard time just looking up and realizing the life that we live. In growing up, though, what were some of your earliest attractions or draws to the horse, right? Sometimes... Yeah. Sometimes kids coming up don't necessarily follow in their parents' footsteps because uh, whether it's a sport or academics or horses, you know, it's kind of kind of pushed upon the children. So for you, yes. What was the early draw for you that that made you realize that no, there is value in this. This is something that I want to pursue. Um. Well, one thing I I definitely have to give credit to my parents for was not pushing it on us you know I think it could have been really easy for my dad to imply his program on my sister and I at a young age and he definitely encouraged some things just for more or less safety reasons but he kind of gave us the free will to go saddle up and ride around the country as we pleased and it just kind of became something that was like my second nature and regardless of if anyone was out there riding or not it was kind of something that I gravitated towards and I'm not sure if it's because it was kind of something in a place with the horse that made me feel more at ease and just more with myself you know and I felt like I could just really enjoy nature and being outside and oftentimes family was there too so we'd all go together and go travel around and that time with family was just as important and it, I think kind of just how it all unfolded it was just part of our nature to want to be with them and just kind of the way things went at that age but I definitely growing up when I started to get more seriously involved with trying to develop my horsemanship skills and my understanding of the horse. You learn lessons all the time, as you know, and you learn things sometimes the hard way. <laughs> yeah, we, tr we try to reduce those as much as we can. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> um, but I think more than anything, I just learned to realize that the self-reflection process that is gained from working with horses is huge. Um, and it teaches you lessons that... Sometimes you just have to get hands-on and get as involved as possible to even stumble across them. The message isn't as important if someone tells you is it as if you are to learn it hands-on with the horse yourself. Um, that's just something, I think, growing up that became very apparent very quickly. And this last year has been huge because I've been riding a lot of different horses and horses of all ages with all histories and backgrounds. And again, sometimes you're learning lessons the hard way with 
things that I knew very well growing up that I probably should have done to make sure that I was going to be safe or that the horse was ready to climb aboard and all that good stuff. But I think it's just a never-ending learning process. And growing up, that's been huge for my family and always reflecting on ourselves and getting those opportunities for self-growth. And so basically just the never-ending learning process is the big draw. And you touch on a great point, and it's been made many times on the show, and it's a very difficult, very difficult path to travel. But for me personally, my horsemanship really took off once I started to focus on the self-awareness, right? Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, we get frustrated because a horse isn't performing X task, right, or whatever we're asking. But once I started to realize or take the approach that, all right, what am I doing? How am I? I'm obviously not conveying this message clearly. And I'm obviously not being fair or I'm not doing it at a pace that the horse can metabolize and think through and actually articulate. That's when, for me, it's like horsemanship slows down, right? You don't work as aggressively down the line, but the foundation that you lay is incredible. And it's, it's amazing to watch the growth take place in the animal when you start focusing on yourself. Absolutely. And I think the kind of the big picture of that and what I've learned over the years is that's that's something you carry with you throughout your life in relationships with humans as well. Um, And just taking the time to actually self-reflect on sometimes it's not always the other person or being in the situation. Oftentimes there's lots of room to self-reflect and think, okay, what am I doing here? Or what can I be doing that's that could be different to help this situation or to help, you know, have a better outcome, especially with horses. Oftentimes I think that it's not the horse's problem, it's usually the human. Yeah. And I think the uh, horse is the horse is fair and so if you're trying to work on self reflection, right, with another human being and there's yes. there's any kind of contention, you always run that risk of retaliation <laughs> from the human, right? Um, yes. But with the horse, they're a little bit more gracious in their acceptance of us learning that reflective process or learning the self-awareness. And I think that's Absolutely. where that's where a human relationship can benefit, right? Is it in the in the pen with the horse, we can focus on ourselves, the horse is a little bit more forgiving, and then that's the positive success that we have in the pen is what we can take out into the world and hopefully effectively communicate with the human. Yeah, the hor- the world is not always as fair, unfortunately, as as time with the horses. But it's definitely, there's lots that can be taken from your self reflection and what you've learned about yourself. Because I do feel that the way people interact and handle horses is very similar to the way that they do in their everyday life. Yeah. Definitely a it's direct reflection. Anyways, it's it's just like a really good opportunity to kind of continue that self-reflection in every matter and every aspect of your life. And that as well for this year has been huge for me to keep that in the back of my mind. As much as you were immersed in horses and horsemanship growing up, you were actually very competitive in the dance world. Yes. So let's talk about your dance career, I guess, and some of the challenges that were faced in that and how the blending of your life with horses uh, married with your your dance career? For sure. Yeah, so I started probably when I was about five, and I think it kind of became dance was more than just a fun thing at that point. And I was 
something again that I just really drew to, and I'm not sure if it's because I enjoyed having that focus and that that dedication, but also just the fun aspect of interacting with other kids and the music and the fun. But as I grew up, it became to be a very competitive sport for me and and an art. And I danced jazz, tap and ballet, lyrical, contemporary, all sorts of different styles. But I really kind of took off with ballet. And from the ages of about 10 to 14, every summer I would go to um, a summer school for the Royal Winnipeg Ballet School of Canada or the National Ballet School of Canada. And and I received scholarships to the Alberta Ballet. Um, but I kind of quick to discover that my time at those summer schools, and I think it was just an extremely different environment that I was in, you know, living downtown and dorms, big cities, just unfamiliar situations and people I didn't know. Um, I was kind of quick to experience anxiety. And at that age, I don't really think that anyone knows what they're feeling or, or why they're feeling it. So it kind of was a bit of a challenge for probably four or five years. It was it was pretty steady. I shouldn't say steady, but it was on and off quite heavily until I kind of figured out some techniques to wrap my mind around it. But it definitely was something that put a hold on me just being a kid. And the horsemanship and the horses and family was, were, that was the one thing that I could always fall back on, that I could always go out in my backyard with my family and, and ride my horse. And I felt, you know, I felt safe and comfortable and happy to be there. If anything, it made me feel better. Um, and I think what I've learned with time was the unfamiliar situations is what kind of triggered the anxiety. Um, but it was definitely, and it still is, I mean, it has its moments, but it's not anything like it used to be. But my biggest fear with experiencing anxiety at that age and, and kind of growing up was that I didn't want it to stop me from taking new opportunities in life. Um, I think that it's it's pretty easy when you are feeling that sort of stress to shy away from those things that you know might might trigger those feelings for you. Um, but as I got a handle on it better... I, I made it kind of my priority to continue, you know, go to college. I went to Olds for land reclamation. And by that point, I was pretty, had a good handle on everything. And I was feeling pretty good. And then this opportunity came up with Stampede Royalty. And immediately just hearing about the opportunity, it kind of triggered it almost right then and there because I knew how much responsibility it entailed and how much pressure was on you and basically the limelight for a year is solely on the three girls on the trio and that was instantly very overwhelming for me um but dad and I talked quite about uh, quite a bit about it and he gave me kind of a different perspective on why it would be a really good thing to get involved with but the dancing was incredible, and I would never take it back in a million years. And I think that it helped a lot with my riding and my horsemanship and my timing and feel and kind of my understanding of even just simple things like your own weight and how that can affect the horse. Um, 
but it definitely kind of opened up that world of, you know, people experience things as they grow up and sometimes it can be anxiety or depression and I'm lucky to have gotten a handle on it, but it definitely was kind of a turning point in my life for sure. And and to give it to give the situation more context, like when you talk about the the Royal Winnipeg Ballet and the National Ballet School of Canada, like these are world renowned programs. These are not just hey, it's summer camp. Let's send our daughters off so they can dance <laughs> for a few weeks. You know, I mean, these are yeah, highly they're... decorated, well known programs. You know, this is where people Thank go you. to become become experts. So I, yeah, I can it's... see where you're in a tough spot. I mean, you're trying to find yourself being that age and now you're oh, for sure now you're putting now you're put up with the big dogs right pressure. i mean this is yeah you're, these are professionals yeah. at these these schools. it was absolutely incredible like the prestige amount of dancers there and, and growing up on a, a ranch you know in northern bc and people don't even know where grand prairie is let alone <laughs> fort st john you know they're like yeah. oh man yeah. you're a hillbilly and i'm like no i swear i'm not no <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, and then going there and a lot of these girls, they knew that it was their, you know, their absolute life dream was to be a part of the company and to be a principal ballerina, which is absolutely incredible. And it's pretty cool because a lot of them are today. Um, but I just knew that the ranch life and family life and the horses was more a better fit for me than the full-time ballerina as much as I did love ballet and dance but it was just too much pressure and too much too much of a commitment for someone that's 10 to 14 that's a a lot to ask of someone and my parents literally only let me go because I begged them to so there was there was no push from them whatsoever I'm sure they would have loved if I stayed home every summer and was around for every second with them but I went and I, I wanted to see what it was all about and it was incredible, but definitely not for me. Definitely not at that age either. It's incredible. It's incredible that you had the awareness to make that decision because so many, I mean, you talk about Olympic athletes, right? You talk about professional yeah. athletes. Um, oftentimes the sport, right, becomes your job, becomes your life and I mean, a healthy, in my experience, right, I, I played a lot of baseball growing up, and you have to have that healthy level of performance anxiety, right? Yes. Like, I tell people the butterflies are great. It's great. It keeps you sharp, keeps you focused. But I agree. I, I personally used to get them so bad that I would get sick before every game. Yeah. And it and didn't matter if it was too a, much. Yeah, I didn't matter if it was a practice game or it was a championship game. Like, I just got myself so worked up. And then, obviously, once you yes. get into the flow of a, of a game – it all kind of eases everything, but it's a, it's, it's a real issue, you know, when you're competing, it's a lot of pressure. And I think oftentimes I think a lot of it comes from within. It absolutely does. And I think to the pressure of those summer schools were kind of an acceptance to the year long program. And oftentimes there were scholarships up for grab too during the summer school. So I, um, I almost felt guilty that I, um, it is talent for sure, but I worked really hard to get there. But for some reason, I almost felt guilty if I didn't take the opportunity. In and what way? Like, how, how would um, you feel guilty? Just that not everyone was going to get the same opportunities that I was. Yeah. Um, and that was completely self 
self-inflicted, you know, that wasn't coming from any other sources. But again, it's it in a way it is talent for sure, but it definitely takes a lot of hard work and dedication to get to that point. But I almost felt more of a pressure from my own self to go for the year, which thank goodness I did not because I couldn't imagine just I would have been so closed off, I think, and kind of shy, you know, just a shy, not very outgoing little girl, which isn't bad. But knowing, you know, how good I feel now and where I am in my life, I'm just really grateful. You know, I'm grateful I experienced those opportunities, but really glad my life's in the direction that it is. So you talked about the anxiety of of the pressure to perform at these ballet, ballet academies and just the regiment and how stringent it was. And then going home, riding the horses was obviously your, your release because it was familiar to you. Yes. At any point, I mean, obviously the horse riding felt good because it's something that you knew, but at any point, yes. did you realize like the horse is doing this for me? The horse is providing this relief. The horse is providing this growth. For sure. I think at the time I hadn't really fully put that into perspective but I knew that there was a deeper meaning and a deeper value to kind of the mental and emotional release that I would feel every time I went with them and I think at the time it was more of the the thought process that I was hands-on focused about something else you know like I was focused on my partnership with the horse and I was focused on um, putting my best self forward for the horse and as you know like you can't go and work with a horse while you're frustrated or upset the horse feels that and i really do feel you have to kind of set that aside and go okay if i'm gonna work with my horse today i need to be present and in this exact moment and do the best that i can and be my best self for the horse and that was just something that's kind of always been you know, taught from an early age. And so I think that kind of put any other feelings I had on the back burner and it kind of became my way of moving forward. So oftentimes we talk about on this show, um, folks who are faced with anxiety or stress or or post-traumatic stress, things of that sort, it comes from a place of suppressing stress, right? We just bury whatever experience so deep down inside of us that it just festers up and at some point it's going to, it's going to explode. Yes. So when you talk about the focus of the horse and kind of taking your mind off of the anxiety and pressures of dancing, do you think at any point you were able to work through those anxieties or did you learn a skill set in which you applied to the dancing and the pressures and the stress and all that stuff from your work from the horse? Absolutely. Um, I think, I mean, it was an all-around effort. Family and everything was involved. But I think that just not ignoring the fact that I was feeling the way that I was feeling was the first step of being able to talk about it. And I didn't even know how to talk about it for a while because I wasn't sure what I was feeling. I couldn't figure out because at that point I'd been home. And I remember mom was making steak and mushrooms and... I was just in a haze. Like I, I could remember everything everyone was talking about and doing, but I was in an absolute haze and it was the weirdest feeling. Cause you know, I'd looked forward to that moment, you know, getting off the plane, stepping foot at the ranch for so long yeah. that it was there. And I just couldn't quite shake the feeling that I'd been having. 
So that night was the first night that I kind of really had to say, okay, there's something going on. I'm not sure why I'm feeling the way I am. Mm-hmm. And from there on, it was the the conscientious, sorry, I can't pronounce the word. <laughs> decision, it works basically. for me. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do. It's the decision to yes. to talk about it and, you know, not ignore the fact that I was feeling the way that I was feeling. And then, too, with the horse, I think just being able to focus on the task at hand, um, it just, it worked. It, you know, you take the time with the horse, you take the time to talk about what you need to talk about, be clear about the way you're feeling. Don't lie to yourself about, you know, what you may be feeling. And, and time is a huge factor in all of that. Um, I mean, it took years, honestly, before it got to the point where I could take a big deep breath and kind of settle everything down and get my perspective back to where it needed to be. But all of it plays a huge role, and the horses especially, because it's something I was familiar with and something that I could really focus on because I wanted to, and it it was made it possible for me to put the rest of it kind of on the back burner and just focus on the task at hand. Yeah. And I think you make a great point when you talk about the time that it takes, right? So often yeah. in the world of mental health and they, they use the analogy of a bucket, right? That all of life stressors is just a drop in the bucket, a drop in the bucket, a drop in the bucket, right? And eventually that bucket's going to fill up and overflow. Well, yes. sometimes it takes years for that bucket to fill up, right? Yeah. And oftentimes when we are at a point of recovery or we're in the process of recovery, we're not so forgiving in understanding that it's going to take years to take <laughs> drops out of that bucket, to let drops out of that bucket. You know, we, we expect okay, I had a problem. I understand I have a problem. I'm doing what I need to, to fix it. And next weekend, I'm going to be good, right? It does not mm-hmm. happen like that. It's it's no. the constant, persistent effort of of squaring yourself away that provides the benefit. And sometimes that is four and five and six and seven and 10 years. Sometimes it's the rest of your life, right? It's maintenance work. Yeah, it's pretty incredible, honestly. It's It's hard to have that patience with yourself and forgiveness to just take the time that you need to take. And I am not a very patient person. And that's like I am in some ways, but in other ways, I definitely have a bit of that hurry up and just let's not even wait mentality. Let's just hurry up. And and I found on this show, my dad, (laughs) (laughs) that's incredible. And yeah, but I have found on the show and interviewing folks and talking with people outside of the show that, it's that type A personality that often has these these challenges, right? Because yes. when we get stressed out, what do we want to do? We want to work harder, right? Mm-hmm. We don't deal with the stress. Well, working harder just creates more stress, right? And it's just this cycle yes. and cycle and cycle and cycle. And and I'm very much the same way. Like I want to be the best and I wanted to be the best yesterday. I don't care yes. about, you know, the, the process or what it takes or that I don't have experience or that, you know, people have worked decades to master this. Um, so that was that was one of the big challenges for me when I started to get into this horsemanship deal is that it truly takes a lifetime to obtain that education. And and I would get frustrated myself because I'm not seeing the success yet. When experience is the best teacher and all this takes time, you there's no way you can rush it. It just does no. not happen, you know? 
Yeah, and then just being able to be okay with that is a whole other level of yeah. skill to just go, okay, well, yes, this is going to take time, and that's great. Yeah, you just <laughs> got to run, run your own race. That's it what it comes down to. to. Yeah. So let's yes. talk a little bit about your time with the Calgary Stampede. Now, you do not have a history in, in rodeo pageantry or anything of that sort. Let's talk about how this kind of sprung upon your life. Sure. Well, it kind of falls into the whole pattern of not wanting unfamiliar situations to stop me from taking new opportunities. Um, and I was at a clinic that dad was putting on in Cochrane, and I took a horse into the clinic and the horse that I took in happened to be um, the horse of a lady that was an advisor, basically a chaperone for the trio. And she's done it for years. She's been on the committee. And she kind of sat my dad and I down and told us about the opportunity um, and that I should try out for Stampede Royalty. And quite honestly, I was very quick to kind of explain that I wasn't the right fit for the role and that it it wasn't something that I'd really be interested in. And I know how terrible that sounds because it's kind of that first naive pre-assumption um but we we talked offline before the show you know some weeks ago and and we talked about your value as a guest on this show right is it i many people right have that misconception that all rodeo pageantry is is just how much makeup can you can you get on you right yeah how big can those and flashy can all your clothes be and can you ride (laughs) around the horse or can you ride around an arena and wave right yeah um (laughs) And I'm not saying that's correct, right? But that's unfortunately a lot of people's uneducated opinion. And the reason I wanted to have you on the show is because your role as rodeo royalty is so much deeper and so much more valuable than just, hey, how fast can you ride a horse around an arena and wave? Yeah, it's um, pretty incredible because I actually had the same thought process going in, well, not going into it, but this initial response was exactly that. And I... I was sitting there and just like the pretty sure I had one of dad's jeans on and a hoodie (laughs) and my hair and a bun. And I just probably looked like a little boy. And she was saying that I need to go try out. And I just, I almost started laughing because I just thought that is the farthest thing that I would be comfortable doing or feel like I want to do. Mm -hmm. And then she, um, bless her heart, <laughs> kind of stopped me in my tracks and was like, okay, I know that that's what everyone kind of sees things or sees the whole role as at first, but this is what they actually do. And she started to explain to me um, all the different, you know, people you get to meet, the events you go to. I mean, we did hundreds and hundreds of just strictly fundraising and charity events for for charities I didn't even know existed. That's for incredible. problems in the world that yeah. I didn't even know existed. Yeah. Um, we've, you know, done tons of school visits. We've worked with tons of 4-H children. And, you, I mean, you meet children even just through 10 days of Stampede itself that look to you like you're a real live princess. And it's the weirdest thing to me because I, I just, when I'm wearing what what we wear as stampede royalty i i don't feel like 
what I'm wearing. I feel like the person inside. And so mm-hmm. I just, I'm thinking, how could this little girl <laughs> yeah. be so excited to see me? And then you remember and you go, okay, you know, to a child, we look very sparkly and fun and we're all matching. And so you talk to this little girl and you, you, you quickly figure out that you have a really good opportunity to try and make a difference in that one little girl's life because she is so happy to listen to you for those five minutes and at first you kind of don't really know what to do with the attention from children and even from adults and the people you meet but you quickly start to figure out you know you can really make a difference talking to all these people because they're willing to give you their time to hear what you have to say um and that was a really hard concept too for me was telling myself and and actually believing that people wanted to hear what I had to say. That's incredible. Um, So in the early phases of the process, how do we go from dad's jeans, a hoodie and hair in a bun (laughs) to, to actually being selected as a 2019 Calgary Stampede princess? Yes. So definitely at first took a lot of conversations with the parentals and trying to get my (laughs) perspective kind of where it needed to be to to apply in the first place and the application process is basically just you know you have to be a certain age so 19 to 24 um you have to be a competent rider so i sent in a video and you have to write a little essay about why you want to be on the trail pretty simple you send that in they accept you you come in and then it's a month long process so i moved down from fort st john to calgary the day before our contest started um and so then it's basically a month of public speaking riding competitions um lots of mixing and mingling events where you don't know who the judges are and sometimes there's 50 people in the room so you have to really make your make your rounds and try to meet everyone because you don't know who's who and and it's important that you kind of give everyone an impression of who you are um and i'm trying to think interviews there's meals you have to have like kind of interviews over meals because I think they want to see your eating habits (laughs) all sorts of different things I don't really know how the whole process worked yeah so for a lot of this um, stuff were you were you put in certain excuse me were you put in certain situations throughout this process or was it kind of like hey this is what we do as royalty we're just going to go out and do it and then the judges would sit back and observe um Kind of, for sure. Like, so the month-long process is the same basically every year. Okay. Um, Because what we do throughout the year, we obviously ride horses. We Mm -hmm. have a lot of public speaking involved. And a lot of our events are you walk into a room of however many people and we have to go and mix and mingle and you kind of have different messages you share as an individual or for stampede and these are all things you come up with on your own time you know this isn't anything that's premeditated by stampede or by our committee it's kind of more or less for me it was to feel like I was doing a good job in my role and to feel like I was actually making a difference in the conversations I was having Mm -hmm. Um, but basically contest is very similar each year and it's it's based on what we do the most of in the year um so there's impromptu speaking 
speeches and prepared speeches. And definitely the public speaking for me was way harder than I thought it had been or, or would be. Like it was way far and above more challenging than I could have ever expected. In, in what ways? Because inherently public speaking is difficult and everybody faces their own challenges in that in their own yes. right. But for you, what was the challenge in the public speaking? Um, I think just hearing my own voice, to be honest, was very strange for me because I grew up communicating through movement, you know, with dance and with horses and, and through body language. I was more comfortable dancing on a stage at this point even though no. I haven't danced in so long and I was more comfortable not that we were dancing <laughs> let me make that clear <laughs> there is no talent portion but if you were you would have smoked it right yeah. yeah I would have been way more comfortable doing that and then of course riding was was fun for me it was a lot of fun to do but um I think just having to hear my own self speak and then wanting to sound as educated as possible and say all the right things instead of just really speaking from the heart and speaking um, from what was true to myself. And it took me a long time to even feel like what was true to myself was worth hearing for others. So it was kind of this constant battle between me wanting to say all the right things um knowing that speaking from the heart was probably the best way to go about it because it's also what I feel most comfortable doing, but feeling like it wasn't something worth everyone else's while. Yeah. So it was just like this weird conflicting battle for the first couple months there where I didn't really know how to communicate through speech. (laughs) So that was an interesting battle, but I'm happy to say I've definitely overcome a lot of that and, found that just kind of speaking and not thinking about it so much is the way to go for it. Just got to give her sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's so much more value in it and in speaking from the heart. And Absolutely. I understand that there's got to be immense stresses and pressures of representing the stampede, right? And the image yeah. and the history and all the value that is placed in the process and the event. But like you talked about, there's a reason you're up there, right? They want to know about yes. you. They want to know about the change that you want to make. They want to know about the person that you are and how you are going to influence this industry. Yeah. And I mean, there are values for sure. Stampede 110% has values that I resonate with on a very deep level. Um, but it's kind of finding those values and figuring out how you can make them in a way your own so that it's really, truly speaking from the heart. And that too just comes with time, just comes with speaking and, you know, having the exposure speaking, especially on mics in front of big audiences and just kind of getting over that fear so you can really focus on what the values are that you resonate with most. And then it just became fun. It was it was so fun once I kind of got over those nerves. That's great for you to be able to turn that turn that corner in the process. And and when you did turn that corner, what what for you is is the valuable component of your platform? Where how are you going to affect change? What what means the most to you given your position? Yeah. Well I think one thing for sure that I've learned this year is that it's going to take even more time than the year itself to put everything into perspective, to kind of get that full understanding of 
everything that I learned and how I really feel about the experience. But if I have to answer right now, I'd have to say <laughs> You don't have to answer. Nobody has no, to answer. <laughs> no, it's good. I'm I'm happy to answer this question. It's just tough because it's it's um there's been so much meaning behind everything that I've gotten to experience that I've been so fortunate to experience and the people that I've met, but it's hard to put your finger on one thing. But no. for sure, the events that I remember most throughout this year um, are the ones that I felt inspired from. And kind of one thing that comes hand in hand with that for me is oftentimes I feel most inspired when I feel like I've inspired others. Yeah. So for me, whether that be through, and I'm, and I'm not saying inspire others um, with the mindset that I'm inspiring a little girl to do, to be a rodeo princess one day. It's, it's more or less, you know, inspiring someone to feel good. Yeah. Even if it's just to feel good, that in itself for me was enough to, kind of leave an event and just feel like, okay, I've, I've done something for that person that's going to make the rest of their day better or the rest of their week better. And I know that that's not necessarily, you know, I'm changing the world because I'm telling everyone how important agriculture is. I know there's lots of values in, in other areas and aspects that the Calgary Stampede promotes as well that we do promote often throughout the year. But for me, for finding that kind of inner satisfaction, it was definitely finding those deeper moments and conversations with people that hopefully made a difference for the better in their lives. And I think that's the that's the greatest thing when you talk about inspiration or influence, right? It really comes down to the rippling of water, right? And that effect. You don't need tens of thousands of people to hear your word, right? You influence yes. and you motivate the people that stand around you, right? And when I talk to people and, and try to get people straight that might be facing a challenge, I said, first of all, you got to get the ground that you stand on solid, right? You got to mm -hmm. feel good with yourself. You got to be comfortable with where you're at. You got to be forgiving and understanding of your position, right? I love that. That's awesome. Once your ground and once your foundation is solid, right? Find the next closest person next to you, mm -hmm. right? Affect their life in a positive direction in one way or another. And then it branches out and it branches out and it branches out. And that's how influence and change takes place in my experience, right? Absolutely. And, and it's when, when we get to sit down and have conversations like this one-on-one, -on -one, right? That's where the value comes to it. Uh, would you go and have the same conversation in a stadium full of people? Probably not. No. Right? But we sit down. Yeah, you down, know your audience. Yeah. We sit sure. down, we hash out life, and we just talk about, you know, what motivates you, what drives you, where you've been broken, how you fixed yourself. And eventually, right, people are going to listen to this show, and then they're going to recommend it to another individual and to another individual. And before you know it, I mean, thousands and thousands of people have heard this message. And and that's what I try to get to through, through to people. If you want to affect change on a big picture, you need to start with the one square foot that you stand on. And from yes. there, we can affect change. Love it. I agree. Great stuff. So for you in this last year, let's talk about the big picture of it. I mean, you go from all the immersion of horsemanship, you have your, your ballet and your dance career, 
hey, we think you have an advisor recommend, hey, we think you'd, you'd make a good run at this royalty thing. You decide, nah, it's not for me. And here you are nearly a year down the road. Can you summarize some of your experiences and some of your takeaways as, as a Calgary Stampede princess? Well, first off, I just have to say that when you put it in that perspective, it's it's pretty humbling, honestly. And it's and I do need to think of it that way more often because a year ago, or even a over a year ago, I was in a completely different place. And it's absolutely incredible how far you can go and just the differences that you can make in your life, the changes you can make if you just simply say, yeah, let's do it. Let's give it a go. <laughs> so that's exciting. Sometimes you got to wing it. <laughs> you do, yeah. And, and then hope for, hope for the best, I guess. <laughs> um, one of the biggest takeaways that I've probably come from this year, I'd have to say it'd probably be how big the world is, but how small the world is. Some of the people we were I was talking to you earlier about just down south in this Pinter Creek area and kind of the people that are now family for me. It's crazy to think that I've only known them for a year, but it feels like a lifetime and it's the horse industry, everyone's so close, everyone knows of everyone. Yeah. Um that's been really exciting. It's been really fun because I feel that um my dad has been one of my absolute main mentors through life with horsemanship and then I met a gentleman down here and he's been one of my other absolute incredible mentors this year and he's they have a ranch his family's got a ranch down here of 500 mother cows and they just it's like the spitting image of a ranching and farming community and the life that they live and the hard work that they put in um but everyone's values align Everyone in the Western lifestyle and the ranching and farming communities that have the same love for horsemanship, I find their values align and we all have similar loves and interests. And that's been really eye-opening to me because it's, um, it's kind of inspiring. It makes me think the world is so small and, and yet it's so big, but the world is so small because this Western lifestyle lives everywhere. And it just really excites me, um, kind of motivates me to go and explore it. Well, I'll tell you, it's incredible. I get messages from literally from all over the world. And and it's crazy to think that we think of, of the cowboy Western culture, right, as a North American thing. And it's a very, very brief history in that. But the cowboy ways, right, or the Western values literally have permeated all over the world. And it's just... It's incredible to think that that through all of this, our common language is the horse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. I've found that many times. You know, oftentimes we don't speak the same language, but the language we all speak through is the horse. You couldn't have yeah. said it better. Yeah. So what is, given your platform, given your experience, given everything that's taken place over the next year, what are your aspirations moving forward? What are your plans? Moving forward, it's a very exciting concept. <laughs> it's pretty crazy because this last month is very hectic with lots of, you know, final videos and final speeches and everything we're preparing. But I've been talking with dad a lot and I'm going to go home and apprentice for him for sure for the month of November. Oh, good. Um, And just kind of go and 
share with one another. And he's excited because I've been gone for so long and I've learned so much down here with more of like the ranching um, lifestyle. So that'll be fun to go and ride together and talk about everything. We're, we're talkers. So we have fun when we're out <laughs> riding together. We're always visiting about life and all the things happening around us. But I think definitely spring, I want to come back down south here for calving and then brandings and just kind of get more familiar with the stockmanship and working with cattle. And in between, I've I've gotten a diploma through Olds College for land reclamation. And I have a boss that's been extremely gracious this year that's given me this year basically off and said that I could pick up work for her at any time and I kind of want to definitely intertwine some of that just to put some money away and maybe go and travel some more like you said the the western lifestyle is all around us all over the world and photography is another huge thing of mine another huge passion and I've been looking at lots of the I don't even know I guess you could say locals in Argentina and Mongolia in mm-hmm. the photos. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, just absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um I'd have to say though my my life aspiration is and my heart and my my passion is with the horses and it's kind of always been my common ground. So with that being said, I mean I still have to put away money and and work at some other things as well but i definitely think that's going to be my main focus going forward good stuff so in closing uh, every episode i like to give the guests the opportunity to kind of leave their legacy so in in your experience in the horse world and in life in general what would you share with somebody who might be just a little bit further down the path than you are maybe traveling the same road that you're traveling what would be the advice that you would like to give to them the advice that I would give to them, because I feel that if I could have given myself this advice years ago, it would be to just have trust in yourself and trust. And and I mean, this can go with your relationship with horses um, and just your experiences in life as well. But trust in yourself that everything will work out and and giving yourself the time for those things to work out but also being forgiving and being patient with yourself and i think that that goes hand in hand with horsemanship and and trusting i mean there's there's a lot more to it of course but trusting that things will come around trusting the horse trusting yourself trusting the relationship that you're building with your horse but also giving it time to develop and having the patience to let it do so and having the patience to let the success of your work unfold, I think is what my legacy would be to leave today. Absolutely incredible. Well, Keely, we thank you very much for your time. We wish you the best in the remainder of your 2019 royalty uh, stint. And uh, we'll see you here in the next few weeks, I guess, at Heart of the Horse, huh? Well, thank you so much, Jason. It'll be good to shake your hand and finally meet you. Yes, ma'am. You have a good one and we'll talk to you down the road. You too. Thanks so much. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, you can find us on social media under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. If you want to support the growth of this podcast, 
go to patreon.com forward slash let freedom reign podcast. Again, we thank you and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you.